Is it cool if we do a podcast? Is that cool? Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Okay, cool. <laughs> Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. You can follow his work at jamartisby.substack.com. Dr. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, bro? What's up, man? The are always the best kinds of recordings. Number one, we're face-to-face, which is great. Yes. And not through a screen. And also, we are here in Philly. Can Philly make some noise for the podcast? Philly. We're here at Temple University at um, the Center for Anti-Racism with Professor Timothy Welbeck. Give it up for him. Our good host. Thank you so much. And we came all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. And Pensacola to A50. Yeah, yeah. Everybody like uh. So we flew here, Jamar, but I didn't fly Delta. Oh, wait a minute. That's 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 unusual for you, right? You like a Delta super fan. No, I'm not a Delta super fan, <laughs> but normally I like to fly Delta for a couple of different reasons. I like the lounge. Oh, you like the lounge. I do. He's he's nice and I know you're not talking. Now, listen, I know Jamar's not talking. Jamar has people at the lounge that give him shoulder massages, and then they remind him they have special. That's not supposed to be public. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm letting the cat out the bag. But you know what I heard, Jamar? What you hear? I heard that Delta doing the Delta people dirty. Delta doing Delta people dirty. That don't make no sense. Did y'all hear this? So what I heard was Delta decided to raise their Sky Miles requirements. Wait a minute. Hold now, up. And they also decided that they weren't going to allow people to be in the lounge like me. Wait, people they, didn't, who don't, they didn't want the regulars in the lounge? Well, see, I, 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 look, listen, Soraya Nicole just told me I, I am me. Like, so listen, I embrace myself. But at the, look, I saw, so I need the affirmations. But at the same time, I don't, I'm not Delta Triple Platinum Diamond, you know, Gold's Universal. Super Deluxe, right, yeah. And I heard that Delta is only letting the Super Triple Platinum Diamond Universal I don't in even know how it works. I'm, I'm confused by the whole thing. So apparently now it's not the all the mileage requirements have been raised. You got to have special points. And then, you know what, the the, the, the head of Delta, you know what he said? What is he it? said, listen, we love all our diamond people. Now, I'm not a diamond person, but I felt like I was. <laughs> I felt like I was. Why he said, we <laughs> love all, your, all the diamond people, but you know what? There's a lot of y'all. And I said, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for your business, right? I think it should be, right? That's what I thought. And you know what? When Delta did this, I felt a little, I felt a little betrayed by, by, by an well, institution. I mean, first of all, I'm confused by the whole situation. But when it's something like, like an airline, there's loyalty. They literally call it like loyalty points. And so when they go and pull something like this, how does it feel? It feels like a betrayal. This is why I ride Spirit Airlines. Spirit has never <laughs> let me down. Y'all think I'm playing. I'm here for Spirit's Glow Up. I've been on this campaign, and I need y'all to back me on this. We are looking for sponsors. I, listen, I need y'all to back me on this. Spirit, if you need a chaplain, okay? I am here to be your chaplain. If they need I'm an official open. podcast of the air. If you need, ooh, that's a good idea. I wouldn't even think about that. If you need an official podcast, Pass the Mic will be the Spirit Airlines podcast. I'll go with it. I'll go with it. But you know, sometimes, especially when you're flying, you feel a little betrayed by well, an institution. It's a, 
special kind of betrayal. Like you said, it's an institutional betrayal. Does anyone in here know anything about some institutional betrayal? Anybody know anything about an institution telling you one thing and then doing another thing? <laughs> Anybody know about an institution having certain requirements that let certain people in and then raising those requirements when other people come in that they don't want to be in? Or making certain promises that on the outside you thought looked good, but once you got in there, you're like, wait a minute, this is not what was advertised. Jamar, you experienced an institutional betrayal? I, man, you know, uh, I may have you some You only wrote a few books that. about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're well, like, this is the purpose of this podcast. It's wild because it happens all the time. I was just, look, you were talking about Delta Airlines. Um, some of y'all may have seen, it's recent as we record this podcast, there was a, a young black girl, a gymnast in Ireland who uh, she was, it was after a meet and there were, you know, many, many young girls who had competed and they were all getting participation medals. So, so it's not like first, second, third, everybody gets one because they participated. Well, everyone did get one except the black girl. So the person Hmm. who was handing out the medals was putting them around the necks of the young girls and she literally skipped over the young black girl. Hmm. Now, here's the thing that happened a year and a half ago. Uh, wow. The video okay, recently. Okay, hey, whoa, whoa. So this happened a year and a half <laughs> a ago. A year and a half ago. And we're just now finding and out. And we're about just it. now finding out about it. Somehow, you know how the internet does. They, they, they found the video, it goes viral. Even Simone Biles, the greatest gymnast of all time, Correct. she chimed in and said how bad she felt for the little girl because she's been in that position um, before. So, so here's the institutional betrayal part. So a year and a half later, after the video goes viral, Then the gymnastics company issues an apology. It's like, oh my goodness. And, and then use this passive language. We're sorry for the, for the harm that was caused. The harm that was caused. Who caused it? Hmm. Hmm? No, 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 no. This is all passive. It was just in the air somehow. Anyway, uh, the, the, the mother of the little girl who's black, uh, said the apology felt almost meaningless because it only came after the uproar. And what's interesting is, is it's not just that person who skipped the little girl and didn't put the medal on him. It's the whole honor. Um, it's the whole institution, the whole gymnastics, um, company that it feels like they betrayed it. Because they saw what was happening and did nothing to stop it. Did nothing to stop it. So I was really intrigued by this idea of institutional betrayal. It's actually a a term in psychology. Now, I'm not a psychologist, in case you didn't know, uh, so don't take mine as the last word on this, but as as a a, uh, person who's, who's done a little bit of research. So I like it because I think it gives us some language for some of the things that we've all experienced in different ways, shapes, and forms. So here's a quick definition of it. This is from a a psychologist named Jennifer J. Freyd. I think I'm saying that right. The term institutional betrayal refers to wrongdoings perpetuated, perpetrated by an institution upon individuals dependent on that institution, Hmm. including failure to prevent or respond supportively to wrongdoings by individuals committed within the context of the institution. Hmm. So it is a betrayal. It was is wrongdoings perpetrated by an institution upon individuals that are dependent on that institution. And the examples are numerous. Uh, One is the first context I heard it was in the military. 
Hmm. So soldiers would go overseas, literally risk their lives in service to the country, and then they would get back and find, as veterans, they didn't have near the level of support that they needed. Wow. And it's a special kind of pain yes. when you've given yourself, li literally devoted your life to something, and then you're expecting a minimum of sort of support, backing, reciprocity, and that doesn't come. Because now it feels like everything I sacrificed, everything I believed in, everything I gave my energy toward is meaningless. It's almost like it's almost like if you've ever been uh, uh, in 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 those situations where it's like a romantic interest kind of thing, but you like the other person more than they like you. Mm. <laughs> you're like, mm. oh man, I, I I feel so strongly for this person, but they don't have it's the same reciprocal. feelings back. It really really hurts. It stings. So this institutional betrayal has reached all of us in some way, shape, or yeah. form. And what we found is that. If we were going to summarize the past three years of conversations we've had with people who've listened to this podcast, who followed the work we do at The Witness, who have DM'd us on social media, who have reached out and we've interacted with, each one of them is telling us a story of institutional betrayal. Yes, yes. And this hits not just people out there. I want you to understand this hits us personally as well. Big time. Uh, we've been walking through situations behind the scenes that we can't even fully share yet that are situations of institutional betrayal that happened to us even after this work, after knowing all of the things that we know, after trying to prepare ourselves and bolster ourselves to watch for the green lights and the green signs of healthy organizations, non-toxic spaces, mm -hmm. we still find ourselves on the other end of institutional betrayal. And, and it's hard because it seems as though that can cause you to lose faith in institutions in general, Jamar, do we even need institutions? <laughs> tell us, tell us the third, tell us the other way, tell us well, the, the special sauce. Come on, yeah, like, I got all the answers. I figured this out. This is why we're recording. Of no, course. um, yeah, back to the relationship analogy, right? Like, let's say you actually date this person for a while, but then you break up. Now you're like, I don't think I ever want to date anybody ever again. I don't want to like nobody ever. I'm done. I'm done with it. I think we can feel like that with institutions a lot of times. After that betrayal, after that hurt, after that pain, and oftentimes trauma that comes with the institutional betrayal, you're just like, nope, I'm done. Never entering into one again. This is actually why we see the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, in yeah. religion, in yeah. religious circles, right? We have people who, um, because they've been hurt and, and, uh, their pain is real and it's, their outrage is justified, but then they swing the pendulum all the way the other direction, right? So here's the thing. I think we need institutions. But I think we need healthy institutions, right? So what do institutions do? Institutions, number one, they consolidate resources. Uh, there are things where we're at, at Temple University, that they can do as a large institution that uh, a smaller one couldn't or an independent one couldn't just because of the accumulation of resources. So you can move the needle further. You can get bigger things done. But another thing that institutions do is they help to structure relationships. Yeah. This is what jobs do. This is what, um, uh, service academies do any, anything, nonprofits, volunteer organizations, anything you can think of helps to a, puts you in contact with like-minded people, and B, gives you some sort of a structure. That's why it's so hard to meet people as a as an adult, right? Like when you're in college or school or whatever, 
It structures those relationships. They're organic. They're ready-made. Now, if you're outside of an institution like that, it's a lot harder. And then the last reason I think um, we shouldn't give up on institutions is because they're keeper of memories. So Hmm. there's something called institutional memory. And it's the accumulation of knowledge of dozens, sometimes thousands of people over the course of years, decades, even centuries that is collected somewhere. As as a historian, we live in the archives, right? The archives are so helpful because you have all of these different historical artifacts that could be from across the country and the world now all collected in one place. Right. Now we can access it. Now we can organize it. That's what institutions do as well. And so I think there's still a need for institutions, but we need healthy ones. Can I give a disclaimer? Yes. So I think I would agree with Jamar fully with one caveat. Here's the butt. And I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. So when I was 16, um, I grew up in a pastor's home and my parents worked in church. And so when I was 16, I was getting ready to uh, print off a paper for junior year of high school. I was getting ready to print off a paper. And so I went to my mom's office, free printer. And so you actually did your homework at yeah, one point. Well, That's yes, good. at one point. At one point yeah. I did. And uh, so I said, you know what? I need some more copy paper. So I'm looking around in her uh, desk drawers and I pull out the middle drawer. And in the middle drawer is a letter. And um, I thought it was copy paper there, but it was a letter and it was clearly my name was mentioned in it two or three different times. So, you know me, I'm kind of like, I don't know uh, about you digging through your mama's drawers. Listen, I mean, I, hey, desk. You, let, just let the story finish. <laughs> like, okay. okay. Let the story I mean, finish. I don't know here if she gave my, you all that permission. Hear my okay. truth. Hear my truth. Okay. <laughs> I was, it was innocent. Okay. It was innocent. But then once I saw my name, I said, you know what? I should probably read this. Right. If you're what y'all talking about. And uh, it was actually a five page letter from a group of elders at our church. And what the elders had written my parents is whenever an occasion would happen or I would accomplish something, my father would want to celebrate it publicly because of how much time and energy he would take away from the stuff we're doing to pour it into the church. So he wanted me to know that I was appreciated, loved, seen as his son. Mm. And a group of elders came together anonymously and decided that they wanted to scold and rebuke my parents for publicly recognizing their son. My, my, my. So specifically what they said was, they said, we don't want to hear about your son anymore. He's not that special. There are other kids that matter more than him anyway. More? Literally. And I remember reading the letter and I remember in that moment, the reflexive attitude that I had was, I hate the church. I hate the church. And I couldn't fathom in my head why a group of grown people felt like they could come together and craft a letter that disparaged me behind my back mm. with no cause. I didn't do anything wrong. I was trying to do the right thing. Mm. And I remember, I hate the church. I hate the church. Now it's so funny. The same church where I was disparaged is a church I lead now. Look at God. Look at God. So so, it's just so funny, right? Like it's funny how God works. And some of the same people that were elders at that time, I don't know who wrote it, but the same people that were elders at that time, now I'm their pastor. (laughs) But you know, the interesting thing that I said is when God healed my heart enough to be able to go back to church, be involved in church enthusiastically, and then ultimately lead a church, I realized something from that situation. Institutions may be important, but they can never define your identity. 
Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode, just a dollar? now that's the bare minimum, that's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. And one of the things that we have done, I think that's so unhealthy, especially in church circles, is we have invited people in and we have told them implicitly, if not explicitly, that this particular, not the global church of God, of Jesus Christ, but this particular physical location defines who you are. That the second you step outside of this, we will look at you and look at you as if you are nothing because now you stepped outside of the individual location. When you, when you stop coming and stop volunteering, when you stop giving and you stop serving, your identity is so wrapped up in the pushing forward and the intertwined nature of the organization and the institution. And the Lord really challenged me, even as a pastor, not to allow my identity to be defined by an institution. Because even as great as they may be and as healthy as they may be, we are defined first by who God says that we are. Yes, yes. Not by who, not by what we're a part of. But right? we got to nuance it because there's Please. no identity apart from your identity in relation to others, yeah. right? Which yeah. is, again, often structured through institutions. That is to say, who we are is partly a result of the communities in which we are, right? Yeah. So, so. I 100% agree with you. I just don't want people to to have this sort of binary of I define myself, I'm independent, I am an individual without reference to a community or an institution. Of course. With the saying no one is an island, right? But in 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 that same vein, um we knew we part of it is we know who we are because we know who we are in relation to other people, right? In relation to a community and an institution. And, and here's the tricky part because we live in the real world. This is what I'm about, right? Like it's very easy to say not to let our identity be wrapped up in an institution, which again, I agree with. Um, but here's the thing. Here's, here's an, another article about this. Here's why it's so hard. You did your research for this podcast. Why I didn't did, you tell me that we were look supposed at this, to do research? We're in Philly. But why these didn't you tell me I need to do incredible. research? You should have sent me the reading list, the syllabus. The <laughs> you already know where we're coming. These are thinkers. These are insightful folks. So it says people are attached and dependent on the institution. They may not want to quit their job, quit school, leave the church. This is especially true when the affiliation is an essential element of the individual's identity, which I guess we can argue maybe it shouldn't be. But it says, if you leave the institution, you're no longer a professor, you're no longer a student, you're no longer a soldier. Those kinds of things that all of us, whether right or wrong, or whether we intend to or not, are wrapped up in So, But, this, but this is the interesting thing. So is it the institution or is it the community? Well, I mean... What's the difference what's, between institutions and communities? That's a good one, because I think when it comes to things like 
the church. We can call it an institution in certain senses, but when the Bible talks about the church, it uses organic references. Ah, see? A vine, a plant, a mustard seed. Uh, that's how we are to think about the kingdom and about the church. So it's not that the church ought to have the same calculations as the world. This is where institutional betrayal comes in, because institutional betrayal is, is, is precipitated by a desire for institutional preservation. Hmm. It's a self-preservation instinct yeah. on the part of the institution. Something goes down in the institution. We have to protect it. We have to protect the institution, not the individuals who've been harmed. Hmm. So the church doesn't, shouldn't operate like that. Of course. Right? The church should operate with people first, treating others as we want to be treated, centering the victims, centering the harmed. And so to your point, I, it is a community, but it's community bound and centered by a person whose life gives us the example of how we're to treat one another in community. So if we're going to stay in institutions, there's institutional betrayal. What's the opposite? So the same psychologist who talked about institutional betrayal, she talks about something called institutional cowardice, which is the fear of um, exposing themselves and correcting wrongdoing. The opposite is institutional courage. Hmm. And uh, she actually, I think, founded an organization, a, a center for institutional courage, something like that. And it's the opposite, where if an institution is implicated in some harm or wrongdoing, the first instinct is not, oh, we need to protect this thing. The first instinct is we need to uh, stop the harm and do the best we can to heal the damage. Hmm. How would your life look different if instead of choosing institutional cowardice, people chose institutional courage? <laughs> Okay, so here's an example. I'm talking about you. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking to a customer service expert. Like, she was over the customer service division of, like, this Fortune 500 company. And she studies all of this. And she said, she's studying customer loyalty. And she said, customers are actually more loyal to the institutions that messed up and go back and try to fix it than the ones that hmm. never messed up at all. So when you ask hmm. how my life would be different, I would probably be more loyal to those institutions had they messed up and come back around with sincere apologies and sincere attempts at repair. For instance, um, I was at a center and it was at a university. I was only there briefly. I can't get into all the details now. I'm hoping more of the story will come out soon. But um what the job that was advertised is not the job I ended up having day to day. And it really wasn't a good fit for my skill set. Right. But on top of that, there were a lot of other sort of personnel issues that in a healthy organization you wouldn't see um, or they would be handled differently. So if it had been handled differently, I might be up in a uh, northeastern city, not far from Philadelphia right now, championing... Rhymes with Austin. <laughs> <laughs> um, championing this, this, this um, institution, right? So I think if institutions actually handle it well, because listen, 
I, I, I've always loved this distinction. Somebody talked about, uh, was talking about churches. They says there's no such thing as a perfect church, but there are healthy churches. Yes. I love that because guess what? Even in a healthy institution, you get it wrong sometimes. Mistakes happen, right? Pain is caused. It's how you handle it that determines whether you're healthy or unhealthy. It's how you handle it that determines whether you are a uh, cowardly institution or a courageous institution. It's how you handle it that determines whether someone stays and has a stronger tie or if they leave in pain and trauma and uh, years of healing left to do. I feel like all of our lives and the lives of the people who are here in this room and those who are listening would be different if our institutions have more courage. And what's amazing about this is it's not a it's not a bar that you achieve. It's always something that you're trying to yes. recalibrate yes. and improve upon. So it doesn't matter if you're the healthiest institution that we know of, you still need more courage. It doesn't matter if you're the best church that we've heard of, you still need more courage. And it doesn't matter whether you're a, a podcast host or a listener or a pastor, you also, we also need more courage as well. So hopefully God will make us and cause us to be more courageous as we follow him. That's it. Thank y'all. Thank <laughs> you.